from the blue podcast and we've got a game to tell you about you've seen it already but we're going to give you our thoughts and that is the game against Everton now guys we had some good news going into this game their best player I think DCL or Dominic Calvert-Lewin was still not fit with a hamstring injury in the last five games against them we have won on the last three visits to Goodison by an average score of 8-2. But, you know, it was, you know, it's one of those games when you think historically about some of the losses we've, we've taken at the hands of David Moyes back in the day. It's not one of those games that you, you, you call a banker, either a home or an away banker, but it's enough to get uh, certain city fans uh, uh, nervous. But uh, let's... Uh, Speaking let's of bankers, I'm- we're here. Speaking of bankers. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the reminder. And so, guys, let's welcome the two other of this trident who brings you the Bolt from the Blue podcast. And as you've heard, we've got Ray from City Fan TV. How are you doing, Ray? Hey, I'm all right. I'm really, really good. Uh, you know, talking of tridents, is that ne- was it Neptune with the trident? That's the one. All right, so I'll be the planet Neptune. Neptune. You know what's coming next, Mike, you know. yeah well i think that you'll be the sharpest spike as usual and uh, we also have press which blew on twitter that's colin savage he's here too to help us uh, talk about this how are you doing colin good Uh, i'm great had a great day so let's hope this rounds it off Absolutely. Okay, guys. So I did talk about the um, uh, the feelings that City have when they play Everton. And this was our game in hand. It was the chance to go 10 points clear and really, you know, put some serious daylight between us and the rivals. Ray, uh, what kind of feelings do you have when you know that our next opponent is Everton at Goodison Park? I think if you'd asked me three or four years ago, it had been, been concern. Uh, but now... Especially the way we're playing, Mike. Especially the way we're playing. Um, you go in there with less trepidation. After watching them against Fulham, uh, they were awful. Really, really poor. Um, I thought there'd be a reaction. I thought they'd play differently uh, against Fulham. They, they couldn't cope with Fulham sitting back and Everton having to do the, the legwork. And obviously, we're not going to do that. We're going to go at them. So I thought uh, it'd be a better game. I thought they'd give a little bit more. But you know, I, I thought our quality would shine through at the end of the day. Colin, we know that this run is has got to end sometime. Um, a win here would have made it 17 in a row. Did you think that this was the game where we would perhaps underperform, maybe get a draw when we were expected to win? Uh, yeah, I mean, Everton's always a tough place to go, isn't it? And um, 
I think I was a bit nervous about this, but because when you look back at our record, we talked about our record there from 1993 through to the 2012-13 season, which was after we'd won the title, of course, the Premier League title for the first time. We only won one game there, and that was when um, that purple patch when Robinho and Stevie Island were on fire. And it was at that game uh, we won 2-1. It was fantastic. I've never don't think I'd ever been at Everton when we won. I had, we had won there. So, so from 1993 to 2013, what's that? 20 games. We'd only won that one game. Mm-hmm. Since then, the last. Since then, we got a better record. Uh, we lost the League Cup game there, which I don't remember actually, off the top of my head. Of course, we lost that infamous game 4-1 in, in Pep's first season, 2016-17. But since then, we've had a pretty good record. So did we score in that 4-1? Was it 4-0? 4-0, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since then, we've won uh, four on the trot. Now, well, three on the trot before um, last night's game. No spoilers, no spoilers, Colin. Not to let go on. No, no, no. I, I caught myself in time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but, you know, it's always going to be a tough game. You know, it's uh, it's very rare that you go to Everton and, and they kind of roll over for us. Um, I think that game in 2017-18, I think gave us all a bit of a shock because I think we, we went into a 3-0 lead, didn't we? Uh, quite easily, but you know, games like that have tended to be few and far between. It because... it's interesting, right? Isn't it? Because uh, we have got a, a, an interesting relationship with Everton fans. We've been in protracted disputes with them. I think the one that I remember best was when Moyes was their manager, and then there was the the saga of Julian Lescott, and uh, they didn't like mm-hmm. it one bit when we signed him. And then, of course, recently, when City, well, well, when the Premier League actually uh, cancelled the game, which makes this the makeup game, obviously their PR department put out um, a pretty, what would you say, a pretty snarky, I think. Um, snarky, silly, childish. Uh, yeah, just remind us about that, uh, Ray. What exactly happened there? Well, basically what happened, uh, we, we played on the 26th, we beat Newcastle 2-0 uh, up in Manchester. We were due to play Everton on the 28th, and we had a COVID-19 issue where basically we it was not under control. So the Premier League called the game off. Everton said, they weren't obviously they weren't happy, they'd prepared for the game. <laughs> they weren't in good form, and they didn't have a lot of their main players. So why they were complaining so, so much, I, I didn't understand. Pep had spoken to Carlo Ancelotti, but it was the Premier League called it off because of the of the fact that City had to close their training ground. It wasn't a, a control situation. We didn't know if anybody else would be uh, go down with COVID nineteen and um, possibly pass it on to the Everton players, even though the pl- players are tested. You, know, you can test negative and and have it incubating. So that was always a risk if, if you know City players had passed it on to Everton. And before they knew it, they could have a problem. To be honest, it was the right thing to do to postpone the game. You've got to uh, be careful, um, take precautions, and safety comes first. The player's health has to come first. So it was the right decision. But, you know, Everton putting out that statement. And then you you still got fans. You've still got, you know, her Klopp. I'll, I'll throw his name out there. Talking you know, before the Liverpool game that we'd had two weeks rest when it had been actually we had an extra two days. You know, talking a load of rubbish, and that you know, that was what was helping us, and it was hindering Liverpool forgetting the fact that his team had had nine days off, and his team had had a relatively easy game against Aston Villa in the FA Cup. There, they played their uh, youth team uh, simply because Aston Villa had a COVID problem, and none of the first team were available. So 
you know, it's given fuel to opposition fans um, to have a go at City for, for no reason. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's what was behind it. Colin, we use the word snarky. Reading between the lines of that press release that they issued, did you get the feeling that Everton thought that... Um, they were that we were ripe for the taking, and that they thought that they were they were going to to beat us, and uh, we chickened out. Yeah, I mean, you got that impression, didn't you? That that they felt we were running away from a fight. But they had a lot of players out. We had obviously we had players out. They, I think, they had about five players out injured. The delay did them as many favours as it did us. But of course, as Ray said, safety had to come first. But I, I, I understand they were. You know, it, it was a late cancellation, but but that's the whole point, you know, that everything happened so close to the game. You know, we've had our moments with them in the past, haven't we? But, I mean, in general, um, City fans and Everton fans are united by their dislike of Liverpool. So um, it's a, a little thing that will blow over. Well, guys, this was the much-vaunted game in hand, and to win it would move us 10 points clear of both the United and Leicester. 16 points clear of the aforementioned Mr. Klopp's Liverpool. So it was something that we were very keen to do. Let's go through the lineups. I'm just going to go through Everton first. So we had uh, someone that I have got no confidence in as an England goalkeeper, and that's uh, Pickford in goal. Uh, Yeri Mina, who didn't last long, and I think that most people will agree that his uh, replacement, who was uh, Seamus Coleman, did a really good job. Then you have uh, Keane Holgate, who was, I think, moved into moved into the centre. Ben Godfrey, Davis, uh, Ducore, Dinia, someone that a lot of City fans would like to see City buy for our uh, left left back option. Uh, Sigurdsson, Iwobi, Richarlison. I wonder if we can call him uh, another one of those walking red cards. We'll talk about that later. The subs were Delph, the basics of football. Delph, uh, King. <laughs> Nkuku Rodriguez Bernard, who of course scored the winner in that uh, famous 5-4. Andre Gomez, Seamus Coleman, who we mentioned came on when Mina got injured. Olsen Onyango. City were like this, and this is what we're interested in. Ederson, Walker, Diaz, Laporte, Cancelo, Bernardo, Rodri, Foden, Mares, Gabriel Jesus... Uh, and Sterling, and our subs were John Stones, Aguero, Zinchenko, Zach Steffen, KDB, uh, Torres, Mende, Fernandinho, and Garcia. Let's talk a little bit about the lineup, Ray, because um, I, I, I was a little bit confused why Laporte was chosen. I, I kind of maybe it's just the proliferation of games and Stones was getting a rest, but uh, Laporte seems to be playing a little bit more often than I expected him to. What did you think? Same as me, I agree. I agree with that, Mike. I can understand in some respects why Stones misses the odd game. Uh, I think they're just managing him. Pep said something recently over the last few seasons, you know, Stones uh, has had uh, some fitness issues. Last season was more personal issues. So he's got that, um, put them behind him now. And he's, he's a fantastic, uh, like a new player. Uh, he's been given a new lease of life and he's, uh, you know, grasped, grasped his opportunity with both hands. Uh, but, but I was still surprised to see Laporte. For me, I don't want to change what's working, what's winning, and that's Stones and Diaz. You know, if Pep wants to, you can bring in Laporte as part of a, a trio, uh, three centre backs, or we have played in the past with uh, um, three across the back. Um, you can do that. I have no no issue with that. But part of me feels 
uh, forcing Laporte in there rather than having Stones, rather than having Zinchenko out on the left. Um, you know, Zinchenko actually manages to balance our team um, in, in the attacking areas. Um, so, I, I, you know, I can see why he's done it because you can't keep Laporte unhappy um, because he's not been smiling, he's not been happy about not being, been playing. Uh, but we'll, we'll see this come this weekend. We'll see against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach next week who starts and then we'll know, we'll have a better idea what Pep's thinking. Is. Colin, is that how you see it, that um, Pep is keeping Laporte sweet? Because obviously earlier in the season he made those comments, well, we'll see at the end of the season, you know, and uh, reading between the lines you were thinking that that was a veiled passive-aggressive threat to, you know, play me more. What? How, how did you feel about that? Well, obviously you don't know what goes on behind the scenes on the trading pitch. You know, I was critical of Laporte in that Spurs game, which was, I think, his last one before his extended absence. He he didn't look at all convincing. But yeah, you know, when you what do we pay fifty eight million pounds for him? You know, you 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 don't want to waste that money. We we know he's you know we we know what a great defender he can be. But I, I agree with Ray that back four. You know, one of the criticisms of Pep is he changes the back four too often, uh, and that that didn't lead to defensive solidity. And it's been quite Obviously, I mean, brilliant to see John Stones back, uh, and that has that partnership between him and Diaz, Cancelo on the right, Zinchenko or Mendy on the left. That's led to you know almost unprecedented defensive, uh, almost impregnability uh, mm. of that back four. And mm. that back four last night looked to me like something you put out in a League Cup game. To be honest, I, I don't want to be take that as a you know being overly critical or negative but you wouldn't say that was our first choice back four that's that's for sure. what do you think well, uh, Ray? i mean walker really in the opinion of many city fans is the backup to cancelo on on yes. the other side absolutely i mean here's a point when was the last time you know cancelo played on the left of the back four you know, and we had sinchenko and mendy on the bench yeah so it, it didn't seem logical in in my Star Trek uh, Spock kind of way. It didn't seem logical, especially going forwards, to have Kyle Walker. Actually, Kyle Walker probably was, a, you could argue, was a weak link in, in our defence. And, you know, he's, he's certainly not first choice. He's still a very, very good player. But right now, comparing him to the impact that um, Cancelo has, it's like chalk and cheese. Mm, and I'm yeah. sure we'll talk over the, the Everton goal. Just you lose um, all of that attacking threat that Cancelo well, provides well, on the right, yeah. don't you? I mean, yeah. Cancelo is such an intelligent player, isn't it? And, uh, when Carl Walker came, uh, you know, people someone on Twitter was having a go at me saying, you hate Carl Walker. I don't hate Carl Walker. But when he came, he was a revelation. He gave us something, you know, we, we'd we not really had for a long time, a, a marauding fullback. You know, he was aggressive in a good sense, not not in the faces of opposition players. You know, he was quick. Uh, he seemed to be solid defensively. I actually think, uh, you know, we, he now looks... The way we've developed as a team, he now looks very ordinary. And, and, mm. and you ask yourself, what does he give us? Because, you know, we can talk about the goal. And in that first half, I thought, to him and Mares on the right, we're offering, Nothing. I compare them to pub singers at the Royal Variety performance. You know, mm. they gave it their all, but the lack of quality was astonishing. You know, I, I just wonder if we've, it's a tribute to how we've developed it as a team that Walker now looks very ordinary in that slot. Yeah, he's a very solid guy, but he, uh, Ray, he was giving the ball away a lot in that first half. I've got to be honest, I've seen games where Cancelo's given the ball away a lot. 
you know, I'm, so I'm not going to have a pop at Walker for that. But going forward, Walk offers very little. It's usually coming on the overlap, putting the afterburners on and going down the line and putting a cross in, an uncontrolled cross, and you don't know what's going to happen. We saw a couple of times yesterday where Maris laid the ball back. Walker wanted to cross it. He wasn't sure. There's one horrendous uh, cross, which I think went straight out from out wide. Not to say that other people don't put you know good crosses in, and Maris put some really <laughs> awful crosses in as well. It's not just Walker, but that's all the officers. Whereas Cancelo's offering us uh, this ability to comfortably play in midfield. You don't worry about him losing the ball. You don't worry too much about him getting out of position. And he can probably dribble. just as fast as well, maybe. It, probably not, not as fast. I think Walker is one of the fastest around. But uh, Walker sometimes has to use his pace because he, he, because his brain's failed him. And, and he needs that power and pace and his physicality and his strength to get him out of problems he's caused. It's like you know, plenty of uh, defenders of yesteryear who might not be too clever up top, but they have the recovery pace to get them out of trouble. But Cancelo, the thing is, he goes inside and outside. We know he can shoot. He's, he's not been very good, but he's a little bit more reliable on the shot. He makes better final decisions as well. So whether he's going to cross it high, low, pull it back. He, I just think he makes a, a better decisions. Walker, generally for me, it's hit and hope. And in this city side, you don't want to be hitting and hoping. You want to do it precisely. Now, listeners, uh, we are not going to go on a long extended downer on Kyle Walker. We appreciate him. We appreciate his skills and his loyal service. But I think that we're just making the point that certainly in the opinion of, of Bolt from the Blue, Cancelo is better on that, right? Let's turn to something else, uh, Colin. Perhaps you can answer a question for me. I feel an idiot to ask it, but... Um, <laughs> Obviously, don't worry. I'll make you look an idiot in the answer as well. Oh, don't. thank you very much. I can always rely rely on you there, Cole. Um, so I've got two questions for you. Um, obviously, the person that was missing that you hoped was going to be in this lineup was Mister Whippy. The first question would be, why do they call him Mister Whippy? What what was what is the case? He whips crosses in. He whips crosses. In, so is it not something cool. to do with ice cream? Yeah, yeah. Mister Whippy no. was an ice cream, but he really? whips. <laughs> He whips crosses in. A, a Perhaps pair. Ray can help us there. Well, the, the Mister, the, the ice cream element has, has come afterwards. Um, the Mister Whippy is on the cross. It's because uh, there's a Twitter account called City. Oof, it's not City Chance. I can't remember now exactly. And they do these videos, uh, the highlights of the game, and it, they have the alternative commentary provided by artificial intelligence. And you might have seen these. I mean, they've been going around for years and years and years. It's like a I used to watch them. They used to have these cartoons where you can have anything you want, artificial intelligence voice. So basically, I think you, 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 all they've done is put the text um, and then it just reads it out uh, at the right time. And now they've gone and put you know, music, extra music on as well, like an ice cream van or something for Mr. Whippy, because Mr. Whippy is uh, the brand of, of an ice cream. Um, um, so that's where it, it's come from. It's it's proved highly popular, and in fact, uh, someone, uh, if you watch the Manchester Derby, the women's game, uh, Caroline Weir's chip, uh, they've called her Mrs. Chippy. So <laughs> I'm not sure where this, <laughs> when this will stop and how far it will go. Yeah, it's certainly taken on um, uh, a life of its own. That um, Colin, what was, uh, what do you think was City's solution to replace Mr. Whippy in the lineup? Well, I didn't see it being a particular problem because it, it was, as P 
pretty well as I expected. You know, you've got Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden in there in front of Rodri. And what um, what more could you want? Exactly. And of course, Bernardo, as we'll talk about later, um, more than amply substituted for Mr. Whippy. But let's get into the game. So, um, Ray, opening it. Opening exchanges, how did you feel we were doing? It was hit and miss from us. My own notes, I've got, I was a bit disappointed with Mares. I, I struggle with him sometimes. Sometimes he'll play well, he'll have good moments in games, but his lack of consistency, his lack of quality at times. Here's, here's one example after, within the first four minutes, there was Kyle Walker on the overlap. Mares had one defender in front of him, another one coming from the left. And what you would have expected Mares to do, I would have expected, was to go infield take the defender away, leave even more space for Kyle Walker to charge into. And Mahrez didn't do that. And then he put a pass to Walker, which uh, the defender intercepted, which was really, it was too short. It was a, you know, for a, a top quality player, top quality side. It, was, it really was poor thoughts by not going inside and a poor pass. And then very soon after, we had a corner. The ball was uh, passed to Mahrez. He crossed it. He didn't beat his first defender. Now, that's poor. You've got all your big, big, big guns you know, your Rodri's, uh, maybe your Laporte's and your Diaz in the box, and you can't beat the first defender. And I'm sorry, that that's not good enough. It, it isn't. And same as when we take corners, whoever takes them, if you're not beating the defenders, and sometimes you, you're not beating them by a, you know, by a foot, you're miles away from beating them, and they, they clear it easily. You know, that's, that's poor. We weren't firing. You know, Everton were more in the game than I ever thought they'd be. You know, you didn't have Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They didn't have James Rodriguez starting. Uh, they played a four-four-two with Sigurdsson and Richarlison, but you know, I thought that I thought that'd be their only threat because they had the workhorses in midfield like uh, Davis, Tom Davis, and Dakure, uh, Dakure. So I, I I didn't think they'd create as much as they did, but they were going through is a little bit too easily on the break, and we once again, I'm sure we'll talk about this for the rest of the season. We mi- we were missing very very presentable, excellent chances to score a goal. And, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, at some point, that'll come back to haunt us, you know, missing very, very good uh, chances to score. Well, some interesting comments before uh, the game, guys. First of all, the ice cool Carlo Ancelotti. I think he's one of the most likeable uh, characters in, in world football. The raised eyebrow, as I call him. Anyway, here's what he said to Amazon Prime. It's a big challenge, but we usually do well in this kind of game when it's tough. We did really well against all the top teams. We will do the same tonight. We have to play with confidence and belief. We need Pickford's ability and goal. Um, he had an injury that took time to recover from, but now he's fit. Olsen replaced him really well, but now he's back, and I hope everything is going well. We play with a back four with Dinia in midfield. We need to focus defensively because they're going to have more possession. But with a good attitude, we can have our opportunities. This season is difficult to predict. I don't know what's going on, but I know we will have a good spirit and attitude. Over to Pep, who I think took the opportunity to have a slight dig at Mr. Klopp. He said, we have to focus. Everton are a team with a lot of quality. They can play four or five at the back. We will see and try to, we'll try to impose our game. If you look at the schedule we had in December and January and the one we have in the end of February, we don't have one week off. So everyone is going to play. So he's sitting there at... Uh, rotation. So that got us uh, kicked off. And um, uh, Colin, what were your thoughts? We normally sort of divide these halves into sort of twenty-minute sections. Anyway, how did how did City open up for you? Well, I thought um, it was a bit of an underwhelming start because, in, in some ways, it was a bit like 
the Liverpool game. Everton were in our faces, as they often are. And I don't think we coped very well with it, particularly. We looked a bit disorganised. You know, we, we wanted that extra second on the ball that, that you, you, we weren't getting. The, the, the slickness wasn't there. Perhaps we missed um, Gundogan slightly, you know, a player who can uh, put his foot on the ball, uh, um, what they call it, la, la pausa, this ability to stop for a second and see what's going on around. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, and I think the whole half was like that, not alone the first 20 minutes. But I characterised it as a lot of huff and puff, but not a lot of finesse. Mm-hmm. Ray, did you think the loss of Yeri Mina did much for um, the course of this game? It made Everton look a bit better, I think, with Coleman on. Um, I think Coleman uh, epitomises somebody who's you know come from nowhere, which is what he did in his early part of his career to someone like Everton. He gives it everything. You know, he might, he might make a mistake or two at times, but he'll give everything to the cause and he'll keep fighting. I think he's, you know, with, that, with all due respect to me, I think he's got a bit more heart. Um, he's an old school kind of player. So I don't think it made that much difference. I think, I, as I said, I think it made uh, Everton just that little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would agree with both of those summaries. It was tight. Everton were defending well. City were... Getting through, um, I would say, with reasonable regularity, playing pre-triangles, but not very penetrative. Then we had a goal from Phil Foden on the 32nd minute. Uh, Colin, how do you remember that? Well, we had a corner and Everton had a couple of chances to clear it. I think they had a first attempt, which wasn't bad. Um, Mara's crossed it in. Didn't get a good header on it. it might have been Decore, actually. And the ball looked up and it came to Mara's. And Mara's went, kind of kept control of the ball, but kind of ran across the front of the Everton penalty area from sort of left central to the right-hand side. Then he got a bit of space, put a ball in. Again, this was cleared. Uh, it fell to Foden just inside the area. He got a good contact, and um, the, the killer blower was it hit Coleman oh, on the inside of the ankle and looped over Pickford. Well, I mean, you don't have to do much to put Pickford in trouble. Uh, but that that was a bit of a killer for him. So goal seemingly out, not out of nothing, but it had been a very patchy, I thought, game up to then. So it, it was it, it was in some ways a goal out of nothing. But um, we'd had a lot of possession, although we'd not necessarily done a lot with it. Ray, talking about out of the blue and uh, goals against the run of play, it, that lead didn't last for long because a few minutes later. Everton equalised with Richarlison. Tell us about that one. Yeah, six, six minutes later. I'm just going to say first, we did have a couple of opportunities where we got around the back, but we didn't make anything of them. And uh, I was hoping you'd mention this. Jesus was through um, from, a, I think, a Rodri pass and he hit his, his shot. He was too slow. Um, he has to score. And these are the opportunities that I keep saying we will get them. And we've got, you know, I, said it, I say it every time almost. If you're playing Bayern Munich in the Champions League final or any time, and you get just two chances in a game. You've got to take something, and you can't afford to miss good chances like this. So yeah, going up to that, um, the Everton goal. I've written poor defend from City. Foden lost the ball, uh, um, not too high up, but it was in the Everton. And Everton um, attacked down the right. Um, they came through, went back, put it out to the right, and then. Whenever Everton were coming through, I, I, I looked at um, Kyle Walker. Now he had two men initially. Um, where he was on the right-hand side. But he wasn't too far on the right. You don't want to go too far and leave a massive uh, load of space. 
but he should have been calling. He should have been getting somebody else um, to help him because at some point he was going to be outnumbered. You know, there's a risk that, um, and that's something that Everton did several times where they had a spare man. It usually was Dina on the left uh, and he had time to cross or decide what to do. Um, we we didn't have anybody there, and so eventually this ball was dinked across the area to the far uh, beyond the far post where we had nobody because Cal, what Cal Walker ended up doing uh, with another defender had gone to basically stand on the line, stand next to the post. Dini had a shot, so he had a volley. It hit the post, uh, and Rich Allison, who was stood probably about a yard off the line, it just hit him on the thigh and plopped in the goal. I thought that was a very disappointing. Um, goal to concede. We had the players, we had a lot of players back, but we were a bit rocky. Uh, I don't know if, you, if I can say shambles, shambolic. Um, you know, and it just had me thinking. I just thought, well, if John Stones was there, would he, you know, I, I have such confidence in him. John Stones and Cancelo on that right hand side, would that have made a difference? Would they, would somebody have been covering Dinia? Dinia should not have been, you know, whatever he was, 10 yards out um, from goal, unmarked. It shouldn't be happening. And as I said, it happened time and time again. So that was a concern. But, um, you know, look, you know, for Rich Allison, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and, you know, he, it's probably one of the flukiest, easiest goals he's ever going to score. We did not look organised at all. And I think Ray has a point about maybe about Stowe. Say, Kyle Walker, again, having built up the overload on the right, Everton then had two players against Walker on the on their left, and Walker sort of went back onto the goal line. So, so you know, we had two players on the goal line and Aderson, and Richarlison stood there. And if we, you know, if we, if those two players had been marking Everton players, Richarlison might have been offside. But, uh, you know, for, for that goal, there were a lot of players who were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that goal did give Everton a, a bit of a, a lease of life. It certainly gave Richarlison a lease of life because it seems that his blood was up after that scoring that goal. Clattered into Laporte. It started to get tasty. Foden barging uh, Ben Davis. And then uh, Richarlison again walloping the ball away in reaction to a free kick that was given in midfield. He started to, to get a little bit leery, I think it was. But uh, nothing came of it. And uh, the half... Uh, was brought to an end. Decent first half. What were your thoughts about Everton's potential threat in the second half? I thought the scoreline pretty fairly represented the play in the first half. Um, I, I just felt that um, we'd had possession, but not not a great deal of meaningful possession. Everton had been quite effective in, in closing us down and, and disrupting our patterns. We were seeing a reaction from Everton to that fairly woeful capitulation against Fulham. Uh, but, you know, Everton, you know, they, they, they remind me a bit of what we used to be like pre-takeover days when we, we would turn up for the big games and not for the little games. And I remember us, like two seasons running at, at the Etihad, got embarrassed by Fulham, who were fighting relegation at the time. I think they were under Roy Hodgson. And um, so, yeah, I, I thought with Everton having got back into it, they might represent more of a threat in the second half. But I was also confident that Pep would make the necessary adjustments to turn things around, to calm things down, to get us playing the way we know we can play. And, and I think that's the way things turned out. How did you read it, Ray? First 15 minutes of the um, second half before the next goal. How did you think things were going? Up and down again. I think we had a good shot after 15 minutes from Bernardo Silva, managed to keep it down. 
Pickford made a reasonable save, but something he should save. I've got in mind also a great chance for Everton. Once again, spare man on City's right. Um, and I think that was Dini again. I, I'm not sure if they used him or not, but you know, um, a, that was a chance where Sigurdsson, I think, um, the ball was played just behind him. He was in between the two City um, centre-backs, I think. And the ball was played just half a yard behind him and he had to uh, try and get it and turn and shoot. And by the time he'd done all that, it was blocked. And Rodri was struggling to, to get there. Uh, the ball was played in front of Rodri and Rodri was just a little bit behind the play. Um, and as I said, if that had been a better ball, uh, Sigurdsson might have been able to take it in his stride and have a good shot at goal. And on top of all that, Dini was out on the left on his own. So that ball could have been passed on to Dini as well. Um, to, to get in the box behind Walker, so uh, that that was dangerous um, in my notes. I, mean, I, I do watch Mares quite a lot, and I've said there's some great uh, crossfield passes to Mares, and I've said Mares great control, but now tells. So you know he, he's he's not give, as I said earlier, giving me that consistency that I want. I, I don't I don't see enough quality. It, it's it's fantastic, um, you know, and it's great for a highlights reel um, just just to see Mares. Uh, you know, stopping a ball on a, on a dime, uh, trapping it from, you know, it can hit 50, 60 yards and he stops it dead just like that. But that's all it is. It's a highlights reel. You've got to do more. And there's another great chance for Gabriel Jesus. Walker put a nice ball through on the left-hand side of the goal. Uh, Jesus controlled it, took a, um, a couple of yards forward and he hit it high and wide. Um, tried hitting it at the near post. He just he just leathered it. He just hit it as hard without any real care and attention. Pickford really actually, I think Pickford went down early. Uh, and, but Gabriel Jesus, in his mind, was just hit it hard, and um, it was it was a poor, poor poor shot because you know if you want to hit it hard, hit it across the keeper, hit it low. If you if you open your eyes and see what the keeper is doing, you might be able to just dink it over him. But it was a it really was a horrible shot. Yeah, and. Um, I was watching the stream that I was. The cameras turned to Pep, and he was apoplectic. And, oh yeah, um, he, he was jumping. And I, I, I think that um, it kind of tells you a lot about why a certain, well, well a big section of city support uh, believe that Jesus is is not, despite his work rate, is not ever going to be the main man. He's always going to be one of the supporting cast. But uh, Colin, sixty third minute, uh, just when. A lot of us were packing Mares's bags and sending him off somewhere in the direction of Paris. Something happened which was described as an unstoppable screamer by the Guardian. What did you think? Oh, I mean, what a goal it was. Perhaps the first, most frustrating thing about Mares is we know we keep, we know he's got this in his locker. Uh, and, and basically the, the ball was on our right, the Everton left. Bernardo had the ball and I thought had a... Was a real busy bee. Mara's made a very clever run. Mara's was originally outside Bernardo in front of him, and he sort of came inside round the back of him. It, the defender didn't track with him. Bernardo just gently laid the ball into his path. He just took it on and curled an absolute beauty inside the far post, or just coming off the far post. Pickford had absolutely no chance. And to say, you know, he's he's got that in his locker. We'd all love to see him see it more. Because he's he's absolutely deadly from that sort of range, but he had been quite frustrating up to then. But that seemed to bring him to life a bit. But it was a fabulous goal, and, mm -hmm. and you know it was the sort of goal that win you know, that deserved to win a game. And Ray, I think uh, we both um, we both chuckled that tweet on Twitter at the time where someone said, "Yeah, Morris cut in or, uh, from the left. That'll fool them." 
Yeah, I, I, I saw probably, that. I, I won't say who it was. I think a couple of people had said something about Mares. Uh, I won't. Uh, I will spare their blushes, Tom. Uh, if you're listening, <laughs> it was it, it was an absolutely storming goal. I was out of my seat, um, jumping up and down because it, it was that good. I mean, you can't forget the part that Bernardo Silva played in that because he held that ball. He, he's you know he's had I think twelve or thirteen, fourteen starts now. Um, and he's he's looking really really good again. You know the way he just glides around the pitch, holding that ball, controlling it, passing it. He just looks, I think, back to his best. Um, and yeah, he had, he actually, and I think partly self inflicted from Everton. They had he actually took three men out of the game. I don't know what they were doing, and they let Mares go free. And Bernardo Silva. The thing was, it was the weight of his pass. His pass was perfect. It basically told Mares what to do. It, you know, everybody could see what what was what was coming, and the, the pass was so so, so beautiful. Mares only had one option, and that was to to curl it round the keeper and in the in the far corner off the post. It was it was an awesome goal, mm-hmm. um, and th- this is the thing: when you can do something like that, you want to do it more often, and you want, the fans want to see it more often. They want to see that consistent high level. Um, that Mares has got, but he just it just doesn't do it enough. Um, you know, and I've said you know if Messi comes, what happens to Mares? So he's got to up his game uh, with with goals like that. You, you, as we said, you know he's got it in his locker. Just we want to see it a little bit more often. Yeah, I mean, I think some people did point out that's the thing about Mares. You know what he's going to do, but can you stop it? It's not the easiest uh, task, and. Um, Ancelotti responded strongly to that, Colin. Um, he brought on James Rodriguez and Josh King on their day, two very effective players. Did that cause any perturbation or fluctuation of blood pressure in the Savage household? No, um, <laughs> not particularly. I mean, we know what James Rodriguez can do, but, you know, is he a bit of a luxury player? Tom Davis, I don't know. I, you know, Everton fans sometimes rave about him, but all I see... All I seem to do is run around a lot and kick people. Perhaps you know, that's been very unfair to him. But you know, I've seen Everton players rave about him, saying he's run run games, and he, he might well have done. I don't, I don't know. You know, he's one of those players that you see a lot. He's very active. Um, so I think him going off for Hamas Rodriguez for me actually helped because the game they were playing against us up to then was was his sort of game. You know, run around a lot and get in people's faces. I think the whole Everton setup was not really designed to attack us. Mm. It was more to contain us. And I think James Rodriguez, in many people's eyes, is, is one of those players who joins the list of, of uh, quite a list of people who did something special in, in World Cup finals or in the opening stages of the World Cup. And then everyone wants to buy him uh, on the basis of that performance, perhaps without sort of necessary uh, due diligence. Okay, guys, what ensued after that? by common agreement by most uh, of the media outlets, was a 14 minutes of uh, City keep ball. And then Bernardo, who'd supplied the pass for Mares, decided, uh, <laughs> whatever you can do, I am capable of doing, Colin. What was this like? Oh, I mean, that was a lovely goal, wasn't it? Because it involved Foden, Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, uh, and a lovely little triangle, uh, quick into passing. It, and, and it left Bernardo in a very similar position to Mares. Uh, except he was a bit more central. And again, you know, it just invited him to have a have a shot. Now, his shot wasn't quite as devastating as Morris's, 
it got a bit too close to Pickford, but I saw criticism of Pickford saying he should have, could have, could and should have done a lot better with that shot. But I think it just it was just too strong, uh, and it was. I think he did well to get he did quite well to get near it to be honest, but. Uh, I don't think it was ever going to stop that. That was going to be but, my next question for Ray. Ray, do you think that Pickford should have done better? Possibly, but I mean, I, I haven't seen it from uh, the angle from behind the goal because the one important thing Bernardo Silva did when he ran onto the, he was running sideways, basically running across the pitch. Um, he looked like he just when the ball was past him, he was going to shoot, and he feigned uh, the shot. I think Keane bought it, uh, and Bernardo actually took a touch and carried on going sideways. Now, Keane bought it to such an extent he just stood there. He was expecting a shot. And as soon as Bernardo took the touch, Keane knew he was he was dead, uh, dead in the water. And he didn't even bother running after that. So unless I see it from behind, I don't know how much uh, Pickford could have been fooled as well by Bernardo's feint and the delayed shot. But you'd think that the thing is, even if he was you know uh, wrong-footed and everything else, he got such a um, such a big hand to it. You'd like to see him push it push it wide. Um, but look, end of the day, I thought it was a great goal, a great team goal with a wonderful individual finish. And another one, honestly, I was out, out of my seat clapping. It, you know, I, I just thought it was that good a goal, and we'd been playing that well, keeping the ball. We'd, we'd turned a game that you know it could have gone. Um, Ended up as a draw. You know, Everton could have come back. Um, we we just turned it around, and and, and at the end, it, I was just full of praise for the team for the way we performed overall uh, in the game. If you look back at the game overall, you know, Everton could have had maybe a couple of goals, but we could have got six or seven, and would have been well worth five or six goals in that game. Uh, it, it more and more reminds me of that Centurion season where we we will pull things out of the bag and. We might look casual in games, but I, uh, I said it early in the season, when you look casual and it doesn't work and, you, and you're not having a good run of form, it doesn't look good. But like now and like in our centurion season, we look casual uh, and we're in control and then suddenly we hit the teams and you know, in no time, in 15 minutes, that game was put to bed and we controlled it. Um, superbly. Never in doubt, guys. Never in doubt. Nothing to worry about. But one thing that was funny... Um, and I think I mentioned it on Twitter. I don't know if um, if the other broadcasts uh, showed this, but on the 80th minute, um, Pep decided to bring on Kevin De Bruyne, and the camera went straight to uh, Carlo Ancelotti. And yet you want to see the look in his face. I mean, it told you everything. He was thinking, bloody hell. And uh, here he comes back in. Didn't get much of a chance to do much, but um, very, very encouraging that... Uh, De Bruyne and Sergio Aguero are making their way back, eh, Cole? Yes. Um, and at the right time as well, you know, with 14 games to go, we're back in the Champions League and I'm not sure what the level of fitness of De Bruyne and Aguero is, um, but, but you know, it's a great time for them to come back. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was very uh, comforting, Ray, was that for the remainder of the minutes that was left in the game, um, Everton just couldn't get out. I mean, it was... Total control by City for the most part, didn't you think? For, for the most part, there was that chance on, 80, on the 82nd minute where Laporte was lucky with the clearance that he made, uh, which went straight to Decore and uh, Decore fluffed his, his chance. Um, you know, Everton, to the credit, they had a lot more chances than most teams we've played against. Uh, 
Um, you know, they probably had three or four half decent opportunities that they should have really made um, more of. And that Laporte poor clearance and the fact that he was playing, uh, it, I've got to I've got to mention this. It did uh, lead to some supposed fans criticizing him uh, on uh, social media. So much so that for a few hours he took his um, account private on Twitter. Um, and you, you've got really idiots. Idiots just want to make a name for themselves. We don't know who they are. They're all uh, anonymous. They want to cre- create a bit of a stir. We don't even know if they're City fans. It could be any. They could be any football fan from anywhere in the world. We don't know who they are criticizing the players. So you know, we've had a lot of abuse um, in the last, especially in the last few weeks. But it's been going on for years. But especially yeah. the last few weeks. I mean, you know, we won the game three-one. We 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 ten points clear. We look like you know it's certainly ours to lose from here. We've got fourteen games to go. I think nine or ten games, and we probably you know, nine games. We probably win the title with nine yeah. out of fourteen. Um, and people are out there criticizing the part. It's one thing to do something like what we're doing now, or it's another thing to you know to to do a video or or to write something on social media which you don't direct at the player. So you don't, you know, uh, at the player or you don't uh, write it under one of his tweets because he's going to read what people are saying. And the fans do, uh, sorry, the players do read it. I heard Alex Greenwood in a video recently talking that, they, you know, it is something that the, the abuse that the players get on social media is something that they do talk about. Um, so it's a worrying thing. And, you know, thankfully, uh, uh, Laporte came back it was quite interesting. Uh, he uh, so someone interacted with him and, and and said, "Oh, you know, forget all these other people. You know, who are having a go at you? Wonderful." And, and I think Laporte put like a thumbs up or a strong arm. And I <laughs> and I, I didn't want to say, but I think I'd banned that other person for abusing somebody else a few months ago. Probably me. So I'd blocked them. So this is a thing on social media. You don't know who anybody is, and and so you you, you do take a risk. You do open yourself up uh, to some clowns, and you know. When when it will when will it stop? I have no idea, but you know, um, it, it's just something uncalled for. Absolutely, guys, and uh, I'm sure that um, both and the blue followers are not guilty of this. But um, when you're criticising, I think it's a it's a good idea not to at the the player. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean that that is ridiculous because you know there, there are some people who go a bit too far the other way. Say you know I come on Twitter and see players slagging off. So, See people slagging our players off. Well, no, no, no players above criticism. Let Let's be honest. Uh, but yeah, to at them, I think completely. Yeah, in it's there. like you know, sending it to their doorstep, which is really, really yeah. not necessary. Well, guys, um, it was good to see Fernandinho, another guy who's coming back from injury, came on just for a couple of minutes, but it did signify that Fernandinho is fit again. More good news for us, and uh, that was it, guys. Three one. And as Ray pointed out, 10 points clear. Another record, guys. So, um, of course, City are the first team in top flight history to have won 10 games on the spin from the beginning of a calendar year. So there you have it. Uh, Fantastic for all of us. We're in a great position going into the next few games. I don't want to have a big, long, extra time uh, session, but I think that there's something that we should uh, comment on, Colin. Obviously, in the Champions League games that we saw this week, much was made of the um, the passing of the old guard and the emergence of the new guard with the performances of uh, Haaland and Mbappe. Any 
realistic chances that City can get their grubby little hands on one of these two come the summer? Uh, well, Haaland said he'd like to play in the Premier League. Um, and, of course, we've got a bit of history with the Haaland family. We, we can hope, can't we? Of course, that always depends on the money situation. He, uh, he won't come cheap, but it'd be nice to see him go to someone other than Bayern, wouldn't it? It would be. What's your feelings, Ray? On both players, Mbappe's got a contract till 2022, if I'm right. PSG will want somewhere close to 200 million. He has talked about Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid can't afford him. It's quite as simple as that, really. They can't afford to pay 200 million. Barcelona haven't got a pot to um, urinate in, let's keep it polite. They're, they're skinned. They're totally skinned. Barcelona couldn't even afford to pay 6 million euros for Eric Garcia. They couldn't afford to pay 5 million euros for Memphis Depay in January. So they haven't got any money. There's not going to be, I don't think, a lot of money floating around this summer. Um, Bayern Munich, one club that will have some money, but they're, they're buying your favourite man, Upa Meccano, for about 38 million. So they'll still have some money left if, if there's a good player out there. Um, Juventus, I don't think they could afford. Uh, you know, who can afford 200 million? I don't think City will go that far either. Um, so it's interesting to see what will happen with Mbappe. The Haaland one, I think that's more realistic for him to move. Whether Madrid can afford him, if they're buying Alaba, if, 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 if Madrid are getting Alaba, even though they get him on a, on a, in quotes, free transfer. I suspect the signing on bonus will be at least 10 or 20 million. And if he's getting the uh, apparently 400,000 euros a week, that's going to take a, its toll on Madrid. So how much spare cash are they going to have? So it might be difficult for them to go for um, Haaland. Um, so where, where does, if Haaland's going to leave, where does that, you know, especially with, with, with Dortmund in the league, last time I looked, they're seventh, I think, or uh, they're in the last... Uh, Europa League players, so, you know, they're at risk of dropping out. They've had a, uh, a tough time in the league. So where else can he go? Yes, there's that tried and <laughs> tested path to Bayern Munich. Um, there's also PSG. I, I can't see it, but who knows? I mean, PSG has still got Mbappe and Neymar. Maybe Haaland says, yeah, I'd love to be, you know, go there. He'll get paid a lot of money. There's only a few clubs, three or four clubs that can afford him, I think, that are big enough for him to go to that he'll win the things he wants to win. And I hope the biggest is Man City. So, you know, if he's going to leave, I'd say 50-50, at least 50-50 that he's coming to City. Yeah, guys, City uh, fans should remember when they're thinking about these things that, um, first of all, when the extent of Barcelona's debt was revealed at uh, 1.4 billion, what got kind of lost in the chamber about that was that uh, next to them in second place was Real Madrid, 900 so the no, not you know obviously there's a there's a gap there but it's not a million miles away so you do wonder about these things um Mbappe as many people know grew up dreaming of playing for Real Madrid had Real Madrid posters on his wall there's been talk about that he's got a good relationship with Liverpool because I think Mr Henry the owner had uh, when he was wooing Mbappe before he signed up for uh, PSG took him on a flight and showed him the uh, the, the lovely views uh, above the uh, south of France and um, he's spoken um, quite glowingly of Liverpool. I don't know if they could afford that. You forget the Coutinho money. They've still got a few few quid left from that. <laughs> yeah, Coutinho money tree. Think about the situation that Dortmund are in now. So he's got he's got a mid six million uh, euro release clause. Nobody is going to get him just by paying the release clause. Someone needs to come in in the summer and offer them a price that might be somewhere near what 
they might expect to get if they were able to hold on to him to the end of his contract, which is the year after. So, I mean, I think that most people think if somebody weighed in with 100 million, it might be very tempting uh, for Dortmund. And uh, with good, you know, financial package, it would be very tempting for Haaland as well. My dream is that um, one day we'll see um, one of those uh, videos done by the City PR people with Haaland holding up the City shirt and, and saying to people that he's here to get revenge on United for his his dad's career more or less ended by Roy King. But, but Mike, I'm looking at the table, look, Dortmund, I mean, I think playing the Champions League is important. He's the youngest or the quickest player to get 16 Champions League goals. Um, he's still only, what, 20 years old, uh, or 2021. But Dortmund are sitting there in sixth at the moment. They're six points off fourth, and there's 13 games to go there. Recent record has been awful. They've got four points in the last five games. And the teams that are in the top four, you know, each of the teams in the top four have won at least four of their last five games. So it's not going to be easy for them to get up there. And actually, there's a risk if they continue this uh, poor form. They've lost eight games this season out of 21. If they continue this poor form, there's Munch and Gladbach on the same number of points. There's Freiburg only two points behind. There's Union Berlin three points behind. A similar goal difference. So, you know, if, if they drop out of even the Europa League places, what's Haaland going to stay for? You want to, you know, he, he's been used to playing in the in, in, in European football. Now he's in the Champions League. He he wants to stay playing in the top level of football. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that City's 80 to 100 million euros in the summer will be enough to uh, entice him over um, to City. Well, Colin, uh, let's do what we always do before uh, at the end of uh, our pods and take a nice, satisfying look at the Premier League table. Um, I've got it up in front of me, uh, the BBC One that I usually use, and um, it's very pleasant reading it, isn't it? It certainly is, because uh, I was looking at the table when we lost to Spurs. If you'll bear with me, I'll just bring it up. And I think we were something like five... Well. Points behind Liverpool at that point. And, um, yeah, so I think we were, where were we? We were 11th place. Eight points behind with the game in hand. We had 12 points, so 1.5 points per game. We had a game in hand. Spurs were top on 20 points. We were eight points behind them, but we had a game in hand. Chelsea were just behind them on 18 points. You know, we had Leicester, Liverpool, 18, 17. Southampton were ahead of us on 16. Villa, Crystal Palace were up there. Even Manchester United were ahead of us. I mean, gosh, I mean, that doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, and, and now you look at the table. So, you know, you look at that five points behind Liverpool. Uh, and, and where are we now? We're something like... 16 ahead of Liverpool. 16 ahead, yes. I, I, I do believe, that if, if if life can throw symmetries at you, I do believe at the, the same stage last season, we might have been 16 points behind Liverpool. And that shows you how things can turn. Let's look at how changes so quickly, Mike. Quickly, sorry. It, you know, we we're on this massive winning streak. Liverpool have lost their last three games. Spurs have lost uh, four of the last five. Uh, Chelsea suddenly put these four wins uh, together, uh, and they're they're in the top four. And they look a little bit more dangerous um, with the new manager. They look bet, slightly better defensively. Um, but I think I love looking at our goal difference. You know, we were struggling early in the season, and now. Um, even though we haven't scored as many goals as Man United, their fans will 
you know, quite uh, gleefully tell you they've got one more goal than us this season. Our goal difference is it's worth another point. Yeah, you know, they've it's, conceded it's thirty-one impressive. against our fifteen. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it, um, Colin? So there's a four-point gap between Leicester in third and Chelsea and West Ham. I'm I'm fascinated by what's going on at West Ham. Um, and uh, what kind of a job that uh, Moyes is doing there to be in fifth spot on 42 points after 24 games. I would never have expected that. What do you think is going on there? <laughs> well, you know, we laugh at David Moyes, don't we? We, we saw what a job he did at Everton on, on a relatively low budget. And, I, and I'm convinced that he got the job at United because it was Ferguson's two fingers to the Glazers to say, mm-hmm. if you want to work, you know, if you want someone to work cheap, here's the guy. And... <laughs> um, but he's never quite—he's never quite had the time, been given the time to do what what he'd done. Obviously, he went to Spain; that didn't work out. Um, you know, and the West Ham fans were, were kind of crying into their beer, weren't they, when Moyes was appointed? But you know, they needed to stay up at that point. And he's had the time. You know, the owners, of course, the West Ham owners are heavily criticised by the fans, but they've given Moyes time, and they've given him, allowed him to build, start to build the sort of side he wants. In some ways, I think it's a comment on what you might call, but beyond us, the equality of, of, of the Premier League this season, where it, it really is a lot closer. The six team, the five teams behind us, there's only six points between them. And I don't think it's ever been quite that, without looking at this stage of the season, I, I, I can't imagine it's ever been that close. You know, they, West Ham, are, are just outside the West Ham and Chelsea, you know, fourth and fifth, they both lost six games. I think quite a lot. Uh, Leicester also lost six games. They've only won half the games. We know the points total is going to be a bit lower this season. In many ways, 75% is probably credit to David Moyes, who's got West Ham playing very well. And I think the other 25%, without wanting to be disrespectful, is because no other teams are consistent. I mean, you, you look at the BBC Premier League table, they have the last five league results. And obviously, we've, we've won five. We're the only team with that sort of run. Chelsea, under Thomas Tuchel, are on a great run. They've drawn one and then won the last four games. And then you look elsewhere and there's no one doing it. Uh, you know, West Ham have won three out of five. Uh, Leicester have won two out of the five. United have won one out of five. Liverpool have won two out of five, lost the last three on the trot, of course. Everton, one out of five. The, the only team put outside us, outside us and Chelsea and West Ham are putting a decent run. Leeds who won three out of the last five. In fact, you, you look down the table and Brighton are unbeaten in, the, in those five games, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. So they're kind of starting to pull away from, from uh, pressure. But if Fulham have got Fulham have got a result against um, Burnley the other night, you know, Fulham would have been in a position to put Newcastle and Brighton, uh, maybe Burnley under a bit of pressure. So, you know, it, it's a season where a bit of consistency will get you in that in that top six, top even maybe in the top four. Joe, just the, the interesting thing is, how is that top four going to finish? Because at the moment, you know, unless United, you know, we'd all love to see United drop out, but the question is, you know, would you rather see United or Liverpool in that top four? Because we're obviously going to finish in the top four. Hopefully we're going to win it. We're certainly going to finish, finish in the top four, I'd imagine. You'd imagine United will, but it, it's tied down there, say six points. Chelsea look to be on a run. I'm, I'm pretty sure Chelsea are going to finish in the top four now if they carry on. That way, and then you've got West Ham, Liverpool, Leicester, uh, even Everton, Villa, just four points behind Liverpool with two games in hand. Everton, of course, take on Liverpool at Anfield, where Liverpool haven't won this season, uh, this year, calendar year so far. It's very interesting, isn't it? You can yes. even go down to ninth, where you've got Spurs in ninth, 
on 36 points, a game in hand. You know, win that, they're up to yep. 39, you know, three points off fourth. You know, it, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy situation. I was even looking at Leeds, uh, you know, until they lost the last game. Um, I just think possibly could, could Leeds, you know, with a good run sneak up there because they were, they were already on a good run before they lost, was it to Chelsea? Um, and they still got a game in hand and, you know, they could, they, they, they it sounds crazy, but they could be fighting for a Europa League spot. I think seventh is probably what you're looking for Europa League. So well, yeah, unless um, Tottenham, unless Tottenham don't finish in the top seven and win the yeah win the League Cup, yeah. which looks, well, I'm, I'm relying on know, I'm relying on us doing it. And uh, actually, the the one team that's has been on a shocking run is Southampton, who plummeted down the table. They're still okay, but they're on 29 points now, below Leeds, below Arsenal, below Wolves. I think it was have they lost the last six games on the bounce? Yeah, it's crazy. And actually, I, I think that's since Vestergaard got injured. Now he's back and he's still struggling. Ray, I, I, I know you touched this, touched on this earlier, but um, I, I'm also a little bit fascinated by uh, the rise of Chelsea under Tuchel. Now, would you say that that's a new manager bounce, or would you say that they are the coming force? Uh, I'm not sure they're the coming force. Uh, it, lots of it, look, it could be lots. Of things that have contributed uh, to um, what he's achieved, but uh, I, don't, I don't know what was his first game that he arrived. Um, was it in end of January? Uh, but if you look at the games. Look at who they played as well. Okay, they played Newcastle, who were not in good form. They, in the FA Cup, they beat Barnsley. You'd expect that. They've beaten Sheffield United. Well, they're bottom of the table, struggling. They beat Spurs, who were on a rotten roll. That's their last four games. And before that. They'd beaten Burnley at home and drew and drawn with the uh, Wolves. So you know, and, and if you go, you know, so their form. Who the yeah, the question is who they played? They've not really played anybody uh, of any note uh, except Spurs. So it can be deceptive. I mean, and people were saying this when City were on that good run at the start of the year when we had teams like we were playing like Burnley and um, Fulham or whoever. We had six relatively easy games. People said, that, oh, you're playing all the easy teams. Well, now we're playing the harder teams, you know, like Liverpool, like Everton, Tottenham. Yeah, so we're playing, the, you could argue, the better teams. Uh, so, you know, or at least we're, we're, we're doing it against everybody. So it'll be interesting to see in the next few games because um, this weekend Chelsea are away at Southampton. Then they've got the Champions League. Then they've got Man United next weekend. So... You know, they've got some tough games and then they've got Everton uh, as well. So they've got some tough games coming up. So can they sustain it? I, I, I'd be surprised if they can sustain that winning run. But if they do, then, you know, that gives you the thought that next season under Tuchel, they might do something. When are we slated to play United and Leicester? Because I think those are the other sort of big teams. United, we're playing them on the, the weekend of the 6th, 7th of, of March. That's United. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the game against Leicester will be, I think it's a, a few weeks after that. Um, so, and I, I've said this in a, for, for a while, that um, I think if we'd won all our games in February and the game against United, then we'll win the title. Uh, I don't see anybody stopping us then. Um, so we're playing, uh, I'll tell you the dates, United is, is down for the 6th of March. That might change um, because, because of TV. And the Leicester game is on the 3rd of April. Um, but by then, I'm, as I said, if we win all our games, including the Manchester derby, um, then we'll be at least 13 points clear of United. At least. 
and at least 10 points clear of Leicester with 10 games to go, something like that. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's important for us to keep winning, really is because then we get the business end of the season and hopefully we can start resting players for the games that we really need to rest them for and focus on Champions League uh, and the FA Cup. Okay. Well, guys, I think that'll do us uh, for now. Just uh, any final points? Any other business? Any other little um, snippets? Very, I'll say very quickly. You know, we noticed today that there was um, um, some sports washing and unlimited wealth articles and comments. Um, so you've had, you know, the usual suspects like Miguel Delaney, um, Harris has been out there, um, and as, as Neil uh, K on Twitter calls him, the gibbering fat mess Corbett has not been far behind trying to be supporters. Uh, and why is that City top? the league and you know it's, it is it is well i thought you know spring's coming and you know these things have all come out from hibernation from the kind of tree trunks and little nests they've been building over the winter but it's, it's here, top of the league that's it and as soon and people have been saying wait, wait, it's going to happen we're waiting for it as soon as city top of the league and now we look like we're we're pulling away the stories come out. You know, we've had uh, big fat Sam Allardyce talking about City, talking about Sean Dyche, saying he should um, basically move to a bigger club. He said, I think his comments are, I've not seen the video, but his comments are Manchester City have become a big club on the fact they've spent at least £450 million just on defenders. Everton have, be, have had big spending power. If I'd, if I'd have had that spending power, I'd be wanting to get them top four. Now, is he saying Sean Dyche should be going to Everton? That's a little bit disrespectful. Uh, but it, it just seems open season to have a pop at City. And here's the thing. You've got people like Allardyce making ridiculous comments like that. You've got people like Klopp with his, you know, baseless, ridiculous comments. And then you've got someone like Carlo Ancelotti asked after the game, uh, did they get beaten by the champions? And he said, yes, I think so. And he was fulsome in praise of City about our power, our quality, and expecting us to win the title. That's what um, a good manager does. That's what a respectable manager does. Not come out and you know, slate as like Allardyce has done and like Klopp has done. Uh, Colin Savage, just to, just to finish off with, um, a certain Mr. Ali McCoist was um, very much all over Twitter, uh, getting praised up to the high nines. Um, were you aware of that? I'd, I'd seen it on Twitter. Um, uh, well, Peter Drury was the commentator, and uh, Ali McCoyce uh, was the co-commentator. People even were even saying Michael Owen was complimentary about us. <laughs> yeah, I think um, everyone is sort of clamouring that McCoyce should be the co-commentator on all future City games. Because well, Peter Drury is always brilliant. Yeah, he's always uh, brilliant, and uh, McCoyce at least sounded like he was enjoying it, and he. Uh, wasn't uh, trying to stick the boot into City every every chance he got, like some others that we could name. But um, yeah, I think that'll do us, guys. Um, so um, Ray, just remind us what's up next for City. Um, well, we've got a couple of days off. We've got Arsenal at the weekend. Arsenal fans still, in my opinion, a little bit deluded, expecting us to take a couple of. You know, if we wanted to, we'd take a couple of their players, none of their main players. Um, but none of their players get into our team. So yeah, we got that big game. Uh, away at Arsenal at the weekend. Then we've got Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, in the Champions League next Wednesday. Whose uh, manager has already signed up for another team. Did you know that? Yeah, he's he, he's off to... Um, he forgets now. Was it Leipzig? I can't remember now. Yes, I think... I, I, yeah, so, he's going to Dortmund. 
Yeah, Mar- Marcus Rosa, who's, uh, you know, this is very interesting. You announced before the end of the season that you're going somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can't help. So that, Can't that help. is going to be interesting. And then I mean, that game actually is away for both clubs because um, no one can play in Germany at the moment. That'll be played at the Pushkas Arena in Budapest, Hungary. Then we've got what looks like a tough game against West Ham at home uh, next weekend and followed up by the game against United um, uh, in the derby. And as I said, if we win all those games, um, I think the season's going to be all right. I think we'll do all right this season. Guys, that brings us to the end. You've been listening to, first of all, Mr. Uh, Presswitch Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure as ever. And you've also been listening to Ray from City Fan TV on YouTube. Thank you so much, Ray. Ah, it's been brilliant. Brilliant to catch up and talk about a, a wonderful win. All right, guys, there you have it. We'll be back with you after Arsenal, uh, hopefully. So until then, as we always say, have one on us and up those blues.